Look at them, madame. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Oh. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rupert, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Now, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yes, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Oh, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan I got a plenty from Poland but none from Sudan Or from Fiji or Uzbekistan Stamp collecting happens when we dream together Live from the Philatelic Center of Social Distancing This is the award-winning stamp show here today Episode number 252 Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Mark. This is Stan. So we're trying something new here. We're all recording from our houses, or in my case, uh, I'm on vacation in the south of France. So this is my palatial estate. Pardon if you uh, hear the horses in the background. It's feeding time for them, and uh, I want to apologize for that. I have to record someplace that's quiet, and if I get too close to the ocean, you can hear the waves in the background and stuff like that. Anyway, Leon, who are you? Well, I guess I am a rookie, possibly rookie philatelist. Um, I've been Beyond rookie. in the stamp. Well, I've only been collecting since 2014, so and i've just gotten into a little bit more detail than what i started with so i'm still somewhere between rookie and bush leaguer at this point <laughs> well excellent so tom what's our topic today what stamps do you hate Ooh, that sounds that sounds <laughs> who wants to go first i'll go first I actually was talking to uh, some other people, and uh, a shout-out to Jerry C. He had two stamps that I totally 100% agree with. One is the 10-cent, the original self-stick weather vane, chicken on the weather vane. I think it's a chicken. On the weather. How can you hate that? It has a chicken. I know. It's a dog. It is a terrible stick. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, as of today, these stamps stick. They fall off the paper. (laughs) They, uh, their first initial self-stick experiment was a bit of a mess. And the second stamp that he brought up, that again I 100% agree with, is the recent Maya Angelou stamp, where they screwed up on putting a quote from somebody other than Maya Angelou on the stamp. Not to mention the fact that Maya Angelou doesn't deserve a stamp. And we already went over that with some other podcasts. If you go back and do a search, 
I have no clue what number it is. Um, but we discussed in depth about Maya Angelou. Those are my two that I really hate. Wow. Those sound like you hate them for personal reasons. Well, no, one is a structural reason. One, well, from, from my point of view, uh, one of the stamps I hate are the uh, 10X1 and 10X2 stamps. Because there's plenty of reprints and they can be very difficult to determine which reprint. You know, 9X1 kind of falls in that too. Is it a reprint? Is it genuine? Is it, you know, which reprint is it if it's a reprint? Um, you know, those more difficult things to identify. Well, there's no way, if it's that difficult for you to identify, there's no real way to communicate it over the podcast which means we should try to communicate it over the podcast. Yeah, what, what, yeah. <laughs> you want to give uh, the listeners a little tip, let's say? Well, 9, 9X1 is the um, New York Postmasters Provisional, and 10X1 and 10X2 are the Providence, Rhode Island Postmaster Provisionals. And, um, you know, they're just, they're obviously very old the reprints were done to so that people would be able to fill their album spaces and uh, some of the reprints were done from the original plates in the case of 9x1 there was a reprint sheet of nine which has different plating marks i mean there's uh, the 10x1 uh, 10x2 only comes from one position on the sheet but um, the reprints a lot of them use the original printing plate and it, yeah, that that was an that was an interesting thing. Go over that because that's one of the cool things. Well, I wouldn't say cool, but that's one of the interesting things is that there's different denominations on the sheet. Well, yeah, the Providence Postmaster had the printing plate made, and he basically for the local rate is ten uh, x one. It's the uh, the five cent and. Uh, Obviously, there were very few letters that were going outside that would require a double rate, so that's what the 10 cent was for. And so he just made one position on the plate a 10 center. I mean, it saved making a whole other plate and then not printing a whole bunch of sheets from it. That's, uh, you know, and the differences uh, for that are mostly in the types of paper and gumming or lack of gumming. Uh, you know, in one case, there was uh, letters placed on the back of the sheet to indicate that it was a reprint. Um, yeah, most of the postmaster provisionals are pains in the butt. <laughs> uh, basically, due to all the all the reprints and and in some cases the forgeries. Um, but uh, yeah, the New Haven, Connecticut. 8XU1 is also a pain in the butt because there were a lot of reprints of that one too. Some were signed, some were not signed. And it, 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 like I said, stamp I hate. <laughs> well, at least on 9X1 and 9, or, or 10X1 and 10X2, um, the, the first reprints had the, the gold letters on the back uh, spelling out Bogert, and I can't remember the other name. 
but they're all I think they're all different and they're all in gold so it's kind of a cool you know reprint that you can get and afford it right well, mark right. since you're talking what stamp do you hate oh my favorite stamp to hate is the uh Dag Hammerskold 1962 <laughs> invert, where they took the stamp and then because somebody found an inverted uh, an inverted yellow, um, the postal service went in and printed out millions of sheets with yellow inverted, and so all of our albums have to have a two spaces for the stamp, and it's really annoying, and the invert doesn't look you know does not look good. And, uh, and I just find that whole debacle um, very annoying. You know, even the original stamp is not that good. I mean, with a guy with the name of Dag Hammerskold, you know, he should be depicted on a horse shirtless. If you want to complain about how things are displayed in standard postage stamp albums, then I have a few pet peeves as well but you know like the one cent franklin's having all the types well you know most of them came off one plate that's one issue it should have one space my my opinion but that's well, like, not the way it's like we say here at a pse and stamp show here today our goal is to make stamp collecting easier and not more difficult and having all the one cent varieties all listed separately and then a whole bunch of exceptions underneath them uh, that does not make stamp collecting easy and i agree with you so tom what stamp do you hate i'm gonna go right after you cash because i hate the three cent washington <laughs> 10 10 a 11 11a what 25 25a 26 26a those are my children you're talking about yep told you i was gonna go after you <laughs> I, I think differences between like the type one and type two with the inner frame lines recut, that's easy. But to me, the difference between the 10 and 11 are so indiscriminately subtle. And the type three and type four with whether or not the outside edge lines continue or not, because three quarters of the time they disappear into the perfs. It's not even to... <laughs> Oh, 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 and wait, but the might continue with the bottom, but it might not at the top because if it's a top row stamp, they were cut off anyway because they didn't continue into the sheet. So it's there, there's, <laughs> we're not even get into the shades. My favorite is the shades when, when you have the pink shade plum, the plum. I have never seen a plum that's the color of a plum. It's, it's just the whole crazy thing. But I, I mean, between 10 and 11, just alone, it's like, it's like you, you put the two of them together and they're two different shades. And to me, it's like, they're barely noticeable. I'm like, really? Why isn't, this, why isn't that one stamp? So Stan, what stamps do you need? Uh, I'm going to go right after you as well, Cadge. It's the 63 because I can't tell pink from rose. And um, then the Washington Franklin heads. And with my reading material that I've got, I've got Martin Armstrong's Washington Franklin's, I've got Micarelli's, and I've got somebody's Philatelic Book of Secrets Volume 3, and I still can't figure them out. <laughs> well, I, I think you mean 64 and 65, pink versus rose, first of all. But, uh, yeah, you're probably, yeah. yeah. 
But 63 also falls in that, the blue and the deep, dark blue and the ultramarine. And Oh, I hate that those, one. Those, they can be, they can be uh, and well, might as well throw 70 and 78 under the bus as well then. I mean, number 63, what's the difference between dark blue and deep blue? They sound like exactly the same thing, except we know that they are not. We, it, like I said, you know, we put out the book of secrets and we showed the difference. But realistically, if you're reading the Scott's catalog and you see dark green versus deep is a person's, you know, it's like the same thing. Dark green, deep green, and deep dark green. <laughs> Excuse me, blue. Sorry, blue. I'm, I'm not as big an idiot as I pretend to be. Deep and dark blue. <laughs> I know one has an extra zero at the end of the uh, value. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Or lake or deep lake or. So why the Wa Washington Franklin heads? Well, for me, it's try. It's, you know, one, it's a challenge because I'm an engineer. I like challenges. Um, two, just the many varieties that they, that are in the Scott catalog. It's like, Somebody at the USPS got a wild hair and they changed one little design thing and then reprinted the entire set. <laughs> and so for me, one is the challenge, but two, it's pain. I mean, if you get the right one center, it could be worth a small fortune. But more, more often than not, I don't win the lottery. So... <laughs> Plus, it's it's fun love looking them, through a whole batch of them. Well, that's not hate. That's love. <laughs> I just they're they they give me a headache. So they're 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 maybe it's I'm masochistic in that way. I guess I don't know. For me, for me, it's the on those. It's uh, all the different perfs, all the different watermarks, coils, and especially the coils, how much they're faked. And the papers. And the papers. Well, let's talk about fake coils for a moment, because if people are listening and they want to either make money or avoid losing money, let's give them a little tidbit on that. How do you tell fake coils? They're all well, first fake of all, until proven, until proven <laughs> true. Yeah. Actually, I agree well, with you. All, no, because... The rotary press coils are generally not faked because there's really no material to, to create fakes from. So the rotary presses are usually only misidentified, not faked. True. The flat plate ones are the ones you have to worry about a five-year-old with a pair of scissors. And we see a lot of those. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think, uh, in the days gone by, a lot of experts, or so-called experts, or self-identified experts, um, just weren't knowledgeable enough about the genuine characteristics of um, the coils as they were produced that uh, they had trouble identifying uh, stamps that were trimmed. I mean, fake perforations are a lot easier to tell than uh, trimmed off perforations. Yeah, that's well, a good point. Why don't you go over the two? There's not just trimming perforations off. There's also adding perforations. Yeah, but adding perforations 
generally you have to have uh, a set of tools, a jig that creates the perforations, or even just a, a punch and a, a jig to guide you to keep your perforations somewhat straight. Um, but uh, yeah, no, you, you, if you study how genuine perforations look on sheet stamps, then on the flat plate stamps you can uh, easily uh, learn to tell the difference between genuine and fake perforations. So that's um, a little bit easier aspect, although there were quite a few different um, methods of creating fake perforations. Uh, but the, the the one thing that's really um, more difficult to tell is the uh, pair of scissors or exacto knife and a ruler, where they just cut off the you know slice off cut off the perforations on one or two sides, and uh, so you really have to um, pay attention to what genuine coils look like, and you know part of that you can get from the rotary press coils, study those edges, and then kind of. Some of that uh, is very similar to what you get on the flat plate coils. The other thing too is with a good magnification, you can tell if a edge was cut a hundred years ago or whether it was cut Thursday. Yeah, and coils, you know, they came out in the early 20th century and they weren't immediately collected because people wanted stamps with perforations on all four sides, and so they were just considered damaged stamps. But then that when there were certain issues that only came out as coils, people started to say, wait, 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 wait a minute, we better be collecting these, and then they had to go back. And that's one of the reasons why some of those flat plate coils are, are so rare. Yeah, and, that's when, and that's when people started saying, well, I can't afford a real one, so I'll just make one that looks like that and stick it in my album. And then, of course, you know, 50 years later, when you pass that collection down to your great-great-grandkids, you know, they don't have any clue, and so it just kind of goes into the marketplace as that. So that's why you need certificates on the early stuff. Well, I have seen uh, many fake coils, as have all of us except for Stan. And Stan, if you come here and work with us for a little bit, you'll see them too. I, th I believe the value of coil stamps is very low because people cannot identify the fakes from the reels when in actuality probably 90 percent of the fake ones people can identify relatively easily if they know what they're looking for and uh and, and, and we put out the book of secrets number one to try to address that you know if you just get a couple little uh, tidbits of information, what does a perforation have to look like so that we can pick out the fake ones? And do I have a good magnifying glass so I can determine whether or not they were chopped off or not? That really will probably improve a lot of people's value of their collections because I see a lot of collections for sale. And at the bottom of the page, they put the catalog value. So, you know, every page has a catalog value. And then you get to the coils, and they don't have any catalog value because the dealers value them at zero. Even the rotaries, which are not faked. You know, they might, like you said, they might be misidentified, but they're never fake. 
I shouldn't say never, but in the uh, catalog values are never there. Basically, dealers are buying these for free, and the collectors are not getting them for free. They're paying money for them. So they're a dead bang loser if you sell them and you don't have some sort of supporting uh, knowledge to tell whether or not they're real or, you know, like a cert. Actually, when you go to sell them, you have to have documentation, not just knowledge. So, Scott, I have a question. Yeah. Um, the flat plates, some of them, when when they um, when they were cut apart, um, they have the straight edge on one side for that first row of stamps. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's good. So, it could that that be used? Could that straight edge be used as one straight edge for a vertical cult? All the time. All the time. Yes. <laughs> the booklets as well. Okay, so that was just my curiosity. Yeah, I haven't seen as many fake booklets turned into coils, though. No, it's mostly be a natural straight edge on one side. So I'll let, I'll add a runner up if if everyone's done with theirs. Well, I have I have uh, a little. Uh, lead in because we, we talked about the the numerous fake coils um the modern stamps that are being faked um those i really hate too um oh, i think yeah. it's neat to, i i think it's neat that they're being faked but at the same time uh, it really annoys me that people are taking advantage uh and doing this um but at the same time um Linz has stopped publishing the details of these counterfeits, and I totally agree with it because the counterfeiters were reading Linz and then adjusting their techniques and, and fixing the errors that Linz was pointing out. So you have to be careful when you disseminate information about fakes and how to tell them, uh, because that, uh, you know, if the counterfeiters are paying attention, they do. Uh, and uh, pretty soon they're going to make a product that you can't tell. And that's a problem, especially from an expertising point of view, uh, yes. when you issue a certificate. Um, I know the coin guys over at PCGS ran into that problem. They were, um, they were authenticating coins that the Chinese were counterfeiting, and they got caught up in a big lawsuit. Uh, when they found out that all 99% uh, of the things that they were calling genuine were fake. Of this um, one certain yeah. well, that's And that's when they finally found a tell, right? Yes. yes. They, they yeah, finally, they, they and, they, and they won't tell anybody what that tell is. Right. Right. That's an in-house secret for experts only. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes it needs to be that way, although... At least with them, they have enough experts where, if, you know, if one or two guys get uh, get picked off, that uh, there's still enough other guys around that know and can pass on the knowledge. Um, with stamp experts, that's a very small group of people. And so, uh, yeah, you have to be careful who you share it with, but at the same time, you got to make sure that it's shareable it's documented and and uh something to pass down for future generations because you know that information can get lost very very easily yep 
<clears throat> in my opinion, the ability to pick out fake coils was lost in like the 1980s and 1990s. A lot of people were not able to identify or that knowledge was lost or people didn't have good microscopes. I have no clue what it was, but it was sort of a heyday of making fake well, I, coils. Well, I, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact, you know, the, you had the big bubble in the, in the early 80s and then also, you know, people were more after the money at that point. And um, so it draws people in and it draws people that are have questionable moral compass. And but, by the uh, way, we mentioned China. I want to clarify, we are not saying that China is bad just because they send fake stamps and fake coins and viruses they are still well never mind i guess they are kind of dicks <laughs> we love the chinese <laughs> actually so. chinese stamps uh have uh, been very very profitable for a lot of people so they're making a lot of money in china it's just i wish they wouldn't do it by counterfeiting stuff she does not look like winnie the pooh no, no, he doesn't. He looks like uh, uh, some other uh, animal that, um, well, never mind. He does look like Winnie the Pooh. Okay, we've been banned in China. <laughs> so All right. I'm going to go with my runner up now, and I'm going to hold it up to the camera. Unfortunately, only two of you are going to see it. <laughs> ah, oh, the newspaper stamps. Newspapers and periodicals. <laughs> yeah, those are fun. Bite your tongue. Yeah, they are not fun. It's only, taken, it's only taken me 20 years to get a hold of those. <laughs> so so the stamp that I have is purportedly a PR34. And how on earth can I tell that it's not a PR10? Well, first of all, if it's got either horizontal or vertical ribbing, that would make it a 34A. For her pleasure. <laughs> for yours hey everybody stay uh stay safe out there i'm wearing a condom right now just in case that's tmi yeah ribbed actually is uh hey, tmi is, yeah <laughs> ribbed is actually not as good because the ribbed version is worth a little bit less than the um than the regular version i also don't like the color varieties where you have rose carmine rose carmine and red is they are not set colors. They are ranges of colors and they do overlap. And that's a big problem too. It's either thin hard paper or thin white paper or hard white paper. And I'm like, how, th <laughs> how thin is thin and how white is white? And how hard is hard? Tom, I can help you with that. Tom, I can help you with that. I figured that out myself. Oh, what'd you do? Do share. Um, I actually have a watermark, a, a currency watermark machine. Cad, you've seen the picture that I took with the currency watermark machine that I compared the soft paper and the hard paper. Um, posted it on the Facebook page. Um, so what you do is you get 
one that you know is soft paper and one it has a certificate and then you get another one and you compare if one looks like musty old socks and one looks like something you can see through the one on the left is soft the one on the right is hard yeah but where you get into trouble my, is my issue my issue here isn't the the soft and hard paper i i've gotten that down through many 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 banknotes stamps the large banknotes my problem is and let me go to my thing here pr10 is thin hard paper pr34 is just hard paper so they're not they're not soft and that's they're well, both the hard other... papers and one's a special printing and worth significantly more than the other well the other the other consideration you have to have is when you get into the continental printings continental used thin to thick paper and hard to soft so they used thin everywhere from thin hard to thick soft paper so it could be anything well but that's that to but, me that seems to be always usually more true of the uh the banknotes but the periodicals yeah you know it's just it's crazy it's so easy because one is black and the other is gray black. One has one has black in it and one has less black in it. Right. <laughs> yeah, unless and unless you have a reference that a uh, good luck. I mean, I I agree. It, those are those are some of those things that um, the catalog is a very poor um, teacher on. See, it's easy for Mark to say. Mark has all the references for these. <laughs> well, he has what he thinks are the references. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we all have references. But, but uh, yeah, the hitch it, is what happens when you are, what happens when your reference is actually a reference for a range of stamps? And that's, well, like here, I said. Here's what, you know, one of the things I did early on and it's very difficult to do but i would buy a batch of stamps and where i would have you know 50 60 100 of the same stamp and then i would sort out the color varieties so that i could see where these um where these differences where the differences were between the different issues and um i know that's extremely difficult to do when you have a an expensive stamp. I mean, take a number one, for instance, or like Tom's complaining about the, the newspaper stamp. It's difficult. Newspapers are, first of all, sometimes difficult to find. And second of all, they can get very pricey. So, um, but the same is true with a lot of the early classics and the color shades and things like that. Um, it's just, uh, a lot of it can be just experience and handling things, you know, even if you don't own them, handling them and being able to sort through them and, you know, get in your mind, okay, these are the, these are the groups that I see and how do they match up to the listings in the catalog? And, uh, you know, that's, that's part of the way that you learn to recognize color shades. But, yeah, but uh, it can be <clears throat> difficult, but it also can be very rewarding. It can be rewarding. Uh, knowledge is always profitable. The problem is 
if you if you are a Norma collector and you want to collect something, you shouldn't have to be an expert in it to fill a spot in your album. And you shouldn't have to buy stamps with certs. I mean, we're in the cert business and everything, but it shouldn't be a requirement to, to get a number PR31 to have a cert with it. It should be something that you should be able to tell. And unfortunately, uh, with the newspaper stamps, it's really, I would say, impossible for a beginner and improbable for an intermediate collector to really be able to identify those. You really have to be an advanced collector to do newspaper stamps. And I think that's unfortunate because the stamps are cool. Oh, yeah, the stamps are definitely good looking. Yeah. But the, the, doesn't doesn't stop me from hating them, though. Yeah. I mean, the artwork on them, the engraving on them is fantastic. Hi, cat. Yeah, the joys of working at home. The cat jumps on my desk mid-podcast. Uh, so, yeah. so except for the last two uh the last two issues the watermarked and the unwatermarked i see a lot of people collect those because people can detect the watermark but telling the well even first issues the easy five cent stamp is difficult to tell there's two of them and they're difficult to tell apart from the description in the catalog I mean, they're, they're, the last yeah. issue is great because it goes from one cent to $100. It's got great. And the last one has a topless Indian on it. So it's a great issue. The, if you find a watermarked one, the value is like 25 times more. And if you can find them well, used with a nice cancel, there were double what's in catalog. Well, that that's one thing about the you know the catalog can be added to the list of things you love to hate about this hobby, because uh, <laughs> you know sometimes it's a bear trying to read the catalog and interpret what they're trying to communicate. Um, part of that, you know, some of the sections were written a hundred years ago, and it's it's uh, a language problem. In other sections, it's just. Uh, we have no frame of reference for some of the terms they might use or, or, you know, if you're a, if you're a noob, you don't have an, have the experience and, uh, you know, you run across a lot of things that you say, Hey, it's the first time I've seen that. What does it mean? You know, how is that different from this? And you don't, um, you know, the first time you start actually digging into it. Okay. What's the difference between these types of printing? You know, what's the difference between offset typography, lithography, and engraving? You know, things that you yeah, have that. to learn. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, it, there's, there's lots of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, there's lots of different things that the catalog doesn't really um, make clear. And the other, the other thing is, you know, the catalog has their set of rules as to what they'll list. My opinion is the catalog should list what's available and not make a uh, political judgment as to whether it should be collected or not. If it's, if it's available and people want to, you know, and it looks like something that was issued, then you should have a space for it in the catalog. Yeah, we, 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 can we can debate that on another one. As a matter of fact, I think you came up with a uh, category for our next show. 
stuff that should be listed that's not. And we can get into something that should be printed that or something that was printed, whether it should or not. Yeah, and to whether to use and whether to use clarity or Ronson all. Oh yeah, I saw, I saw that on the uh, Facebook. Uh, Stan put up a questionnaire about whether you should use uh, clarity or Ronson all or other, but other got zero votes. So, There's my answer. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, people who aren't on Facebook, uh, we talk about stamps. You know, you can talk about Trump as you want or, or whatever. You know, we kind of ignore you. But uh, if you want to talk about stamps, you know, we're here. We love it. But anyway, Stan, why don't you uh, summarize your clarity versus Ronzenal uh, pool? Uh, well, it was pretty much running neck and neck up until a engineer slash dealer said, the only thing I'll ever use is Ronsonol because it does better for detecting the hard to see single lines. And he didn't really go into much detail, but for me, the single lines have always been the hardest for me to detect. And... I'm evenly split. I've, I've tried clarity on the single lines and I've tried Ronsonol on the single lines. And quite frankly, I still can't see them. <laughs> well, I think, I think the answer is to get on an $85,000 VSC machine. <laughs> Otherwise, I agree with you 100%. Well, they're, they're, so it's eighty-five thousand for a BSC machine. So yeah. where do I order one? <laughs> but anyway, the uh, Tom. I I can afford one. Tom, why did you talk about detecting single line watermarks? Because you are the expert at it. I mean, truly. Get a VSC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's to me. Oh, hello, Mark. Mark, Hi, is, Mark. Now on video. Mark is now on video. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Um, now to me, the watermarks are, are okay. They're, they're, the single lines are, are definitely rough because you can have such a small portion of the watermark on the stamp. I mean, double lines are, they're everywhere. I mean, your worst case scenario is it's up in a corner, but then it's in all four corners. You know, a single line, you could have like you know, an eighth inch of a P or a U, and that's all you get, and good luck. Um, but I think the really hard ones are the, the yellows and the oranges for some reason, and I don't know if it's ink doesn't allow for the, the contrast when you dip it or what it is, but for some reason, those are really hard, and almost those are the ones that, like, for me, automatically end up in something like the VSC. Sinoscope is second best, though, as long as you don't have gum. Yeah, you didn't have Sinoscope on your list there. Oh, there you go. Between one of these. One of those. The world's greatest paperweight. <laughs> I, I, ha I have a really big one. <laughs> I think yours is better, quite frankly. Mine's a paperweight. Well, Scott, well, 
you you have told me the difference between clarity and runs and all in such a great way. Why don't you share with the listeners? Well, clarity tends to evaporate very quickly, uh, but sometimes it's it's easier to see a watermark with the clarity watermark fluid. Um, one of the reasons why we generally use Ronsonol is because it doesn't dry as fast and it helps us to see faults better. But uh, yeah, if, if you're just strictly looking for a watermark, it's always good to have some clarity available uh, that you can um, grab in a pinch. Um, I probably use it maybe maybe a couple times a year. Um, and even if you seal your, your bottle tightly, a lot of times it, it still evaporates. So um, you do have to keep replenishing it. And I know it's expensive to only use it a couple times a year and then have to buy a new bottle. But uh, yeah, it, I, I like the Ron Snow a lot better because you can sit there and you can look at it. And you know, if, if you're looking at it for 30 seconds, a minute and a half, something like that, it doesn't just evaporate on you, which the clarity will do. Let's get into the, to me, the elephant in the room on that one. Where can you buy Ronsonol? Where can you buy clarity? Well, yeah, that's another thing. Ronsonol, you can go over to <laughs> Home Depot or Lowe's or the Ace Hardware or Walmart. Walgreens. You know, basically, yeah, basically anywhere that sells barbecue supplies or cigarettes. There it is. I'm not 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 so much with the cigarettes, but uh, if they sell barbecue supplies, yeah, a lot of, you'll usually be able to find uh, Ronsonol. Pretty clarity. <laughs> that you got to find at a stamp supply store. Which everybody has those in their town. <laughs> That's right. Those are those are uh, on every street corner. Yeah, Scott Publishing sells. If you were in 1930, <laughs> if you were in 1930, they were on every street corner. <laughs> yeah. Mark, you have a great background there. What is that? Are you in front of a green screen or something? Yeah, I have, I'm in the uh, hills of my Alpine village, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, be, I, believe, I believe Mark's there more than I believe Kinesh is there. <laughs> Cash's villa in France looks an awful lot like his office. <laughs> well, anything else? Well, you have been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 252. This was Tom. This was Cash. This was Scott. This was Mark. This was Stan. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this still cop was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to send up. It's hard to send up. Thank you for joining us. This has been Cash, Scott, Tom, and I'm your host, Don. 
Continue the conversation at Stamp Show Here Today on Facebook. You can ask us questions, see pictures of the stamps, make comments, and add to the conversation on Facebook. You can also ask the experts your stamp questions at bluepaper at gradingmatters.com. You can listen to all of our past podcasts at stampshowheretoday.com, podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, keep collecting. This episode of Stamp Show Here Today is brought to you by the Philatelic Book of Secrets, the book that teaches you about repurse, regums, color varieties, and much more. Get yours for $10 at www.philatelicsecrets.com today. Worst episode ever. Oh, not even close.